score. I declare bankruptcy. Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression. Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Quite you ignorant slut. Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. You're listening to Great Scott, The Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my desk mate, Jacob. Howdy, howdy, guys. How's it going? <laughs> it's, it's going, man. What a, it's been a busy weekend. I feel ya. It's supposed to get below freezing tonight. At oh, least here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Goodness, good... Uh, Good fortunes for Dwight, though, because he likes it cold. He does like it cold, and apparently so does Toby. That's something we learned. Well, so there you go. <laughs> um, we are a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, so visit brokenjars.xyz for all of our awesome content. We've got um, High Fantasy with Jacob. we got The Dresden Files with Sometimes Jacob. We got Very Dangerous rarely with me. I, I don't make it on there very often. But sometimes, <laughs> if, if, if the big draw for the Great Scott podcast is the J-Man over there, this one because <laughs> you're also a J, J person. I am also a J man that's right <laughs> uh, we also have new Patreon levels uh, if you sign up for our new $3 tier you'll get a Broken Jars broadcasting sticker which is pretty cool uh, we have our $12 level which gets you into our uh show specific discords where we actually like talk about the shows and you get to see more of the planning side. We also have a $20 level that gets you into pre post and get to listen to the show live. If that's something that appeals to you. Yeah. So you get to hear it first. Cause you know, some of these shows depending, um, don't go out for a couple of days, you know? Right. Right. So we, we, we're always up like 30 yeah. minutes after the end, but if you want to like, Get in and talk to us after the show and all that crap. You can now. Um, and then there, there's one that you skipped over there, buddy. But uh, there's an $8 tier now uh, called the Echo Jar. Uh, basically have one of your favorite bro- uh, Broken Jars folks record a short 30-second uh, thing for you. Oh, right, right, yeah. So if you want me to be the voice of your voicemail, <laughs> uh, we can do that for you. Yep, we'll, we'll send uh, happy birthdays. We could, um, you know, I don't know, if you're running late to a meeting, we'll call in for you. Okay. <laughs> I'm Jay Ray from uh, the Great Scott Podcast, just so you know. Steve's running a little late. He had to go to the doctor. As long as it's 30 seconds, anything more than that, we're done. Right, right, right. So that's uh, that's what we're doing. And so please check us out, uh, patreon.com forward slash broken jars. Uh yeah, we're all over the interwebs. We'll give all that stuff out at the end of the show if you if you want to stick around that long. Um, well, on that note, I guess we'll just jump right into it then. Yes, right? sir. We got some. We got four episodes from season five that mm-hmm. we're going to talk about today. Um, and the first one is episode nine, Frame Toby. Right, which is uh, directed by Jason Reitman. Reitman. Reitman, Reitman, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and written by the one, the only, Mindy Kaling. And um, I'm, I'm sure we all know, but in case you didn't know, Jason Reitman is um, Ivan Reitman's son. So that is the um, the director of the original Ghostbusters. 
Oh, okay. And if you watch Always Sunny, his daughters on that show are Jason Rittman's sister. Uh, she plays Maureen Ponderosa. I've only seen like three or four episodes of It's Always Sunny. Well, then you haven't seen Maureen yet because you'd remember. <laughs> um, is she yeah, like Mona yeah. Lisa Saperstein when you see her, you know? That's right. <laughs> um, so we're coming off the heels of the business trip, right? Right. Michael's been down in the dumps from Holly being transferred, being alone, going on the trip. He's yelled at David Wallace. Which David we, pretty much deserved at this point. Yeah, totally. But we find ourselves um, having a bit of a, a gathering in the conference room, right? It's a party of some kind, it appears. Yeah, there's brownies and there's sweets and Kevin's doing what he do and he's munching on double brownies and Does stuff. Does he even great. touch the back of your tongue? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Michael comes in, gets two brownies, like, I'm going to save one for now or and eat one now and save one for later. Because it's healthier. Exactly. According to Michael. <laughs> and, uh, he, he makes that claim a few times where if you eat it over an extended period throughout the day, it's healthier than eating it all at once, which I don't think is true, Michael. I mean, if he did some form of exercise or anything else, really, but he's just sitting in his office well, eating I brownies mean, all day. I mean, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, there is some sort of like... I mean, it might affect it a little bit when you're talking about, like, metabolizing and stuff, but for the most part, calories in, calories out kind of deal. Right, right, especially within 24 hours. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, if you're not sleeping in between. Yeah. Um. So uh, Kelly comes in and grabs two brownies, and Ryan's like, you're taking two? A little judgmental, honestly, on his Was that part. Ryan? I thought it was Michael who said that. Um. No, I thought it was Ryan. Um. Yeah, because I felt like when he said it, that's what stuck out to me. He's like being the judgmental boyfriend who's worried about her size. Um, but then she says, uh, the one's for Toby. And then Michael overhears. He's like, yeah, right. You know, whatever. In his joking tone. And Jim's like, oh, yeah, he's back. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, like, um, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, so Jim gets to go back, and Michael's all like, dare I go back? Like, how, mm-hmm. how terrible of a boss is this that he hasn't been to a, like, 20 feet from his office, you know, to the back I mean, cause, point, right. portion? Because if, if he makes it to the break room, not the kitchen, he basically has to walk through that area anyways. Right. But we've seen him eat lunch in his office sometimes, too. So maybe that week he was... uh luncheon in his office you know it could be uh so he um he goes back there and you know toby's not there first he's like aha good good practical joke jim get me to come back to the annex like he just doesn't go ever go back to the annex anymore which he kind of explains later to wallace because he doesn't want to miss holly right um and what happens is like the greatest GIF on the internet, right? It's yeah, it's definitely one of the most common reaction GIFs ever. And honestly, it's I think it's one of my favorite bits of Michael Scott. It's just the way Steve Carell does it. It just feels so pure and honest. So he 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 goes and the seat is empty, but then Toby shows up. 
Right. Maybe it was in the break room or something, maybe the restroom, but um, obviously Michael didn't see him. And <laughs> the only thing he could say is like, no, like five or six times. And he's screaming it with all of the pain he has in his heart. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like not even staring at Toby specifically. He's kind of like looking off into the abyss in such a way where he's like yelling at the gods themselves, you know? No, God, no. No, God. No. Please, God, no. Yeah. It is so good. Like, you actually do, like, feel kind of bad for Toby here. Like, everyone's super excited. Well, at least most people seem to be happy to have him back. But he's like, and Michael's just like, no. Like, someone, it looks like someone, like, shot his puppy, you know? It's true. It's true. Like, he walked outside and there was a a family member or something lying dead on the sidewalk. You know, I don't even know for Michael, if a family member lying dead on the sidewalk would get us such an intense visceral reaction. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Especially if it was his, his mother's new husband, this father, you know, stepdad or whatever. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, we cut away mid no. Um, we find ourselves back and he's talking to David Wallace basically. Um, is this a 911? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So he texts David Wallace 911. Um, and everybody's assuming that there's some huge emergency. Someone's hurt. There's a fire. Something's damaged, stolen, something. Right. And Michael reveals that nope, Toby's back and it's the worst thing. It's, yeah. He's like, so no one's hurt. And Michael's like, not on the surface. Yeah. It was such a great throwaway line right there. It was like, oh, that's pretty good. Um, so, you know, Michael's trying to run through his head and he's trying to talk to David about how we can fire him. And David Wallace says there has to be cause. Right. And Michael says it is because I hate him. <laughs> it's great. And this is something that comes up multiple times throughout the office where he or somebody is trying to fire somebody else they bring up the whole you can't do it without cause thing because Andy tries to fire a few people he tries to fire Nelly he tries to fire uh, Pete Uh, he tries to fire Nelly a few times oh yeah um yeah, I don't know. Firing something. I mean, Michael obviously has trouble firing people, right? On that first, um, the Halloween episode. Right. I mean, that's the whole point of that episode. But when it comes to Toby, no problem. Easy. Well, Come he hates it. But, you um, know, he would just get another HR guy. Like, there has to be an HR person in that right. in that position, you know? Yeah, it's true. Um, so, for whatever reason, Michael decides maybe to be friends with Toby. Maybe that'll help. So it's just funny to me that it's like the same day, right? Right. He walks in, sees Toby for the first time um, in a long while, and he's just screaming no, presumably just walks out. And here we are 30 minutes, maybe an hour later, he walks in, he's trying to be buddy-buddy with Toby, right? Well, because David Wallace told, tells him he has to get along with Toby. Right, right. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, that guy's the worst, that kind of thing. So... He goes through all these schemes basically to get Toby fired. Right. Um, the first one is sexual harassment. Right. So Dwight decides he's going to be the bait. Right. And 
Michael's just like, no, no one finds you attractive like he does to Dwight all the time. Right. And, but apparently, according to Dwight, men find him very attractive. That's right. Which I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe if we have <laughs> any listeners who can weigh in on that, is, is Dwight attractive? Yeah, men or women listeners. Yes. Because if he could score a point in either camp, then I think that that's uh, there's something to it. I mean, in the show, obviously, women find him attractive because he gets, you know, the girl from Jersey State. Right. Uh, Pam's cousin. Right. Uh, the one girl in season nine. Uh, what's her name? I forget, but yeah, I know. The tall blonde girl. Uh, That's uh, right. Yeah. Oh, God, what's her name? I'm blanking so hard. Uh, but anyway, so obviously there's some there. Uh, but. And then they decide that they're going to try to get Toby to hit Michael. So he goes back there and just starts harassing Toby to hit him. Which, I'm surprised Toby didn't say anything, because I'm pretty sure that's not okay in terms of HR rules and things like that. Like, antagonizing someone to try and get and hit you. Right. I mean, that's basically a fight. Right. It doesn't have to be physical altercation. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then, like, he's like, come on, hit me, hit me. And Ryan jumps in, like, yeah, hit him. And Michael's like, whoa, hey, what are you yeah. doing? And then Dwight goes, hit him as hard as you possibly can. And Michael's like, well, not that hard. <laughs> this is something else we see a few times because uh, eventually, let's see, well, Michael gets hit in uh, that episode in season two. But where he's all acting super tough. And then there's a time with Pam. I think it's after he dates her, his mom, her mom, where right. like he's like, I'll let you hit me. And so she hits him and he gets all like sad and humiliated by it. Well, and then Kelly slaps him during diversity day also. Right. But that wasn't provoked. I mean, there's times where he's like, yeah, come on, hit me, hit me, hit me. And. He gets hit, well, and he always, like, recoils really provo- bad from it. It was provoked. He was doing a terribly offensive accent with terrible stereotypical phrases about convenience store ownership. Right, but what I was saying but is... He wasn't specifically provoked to be punched. Right? right, where he was, you know, with Dwight in the in season two, he gets all, um, you know, he's like, oh, hit me as hard as you can, and yeah, he thinks he can just take it, and you know, with Pam's mom, he does it. So he thinks he can fight, but apparently he can't. Yeah, and also just to go on record, this entire episode is one of those episodes where Michael should have been fired, right? Because oh, absolutely, offenses, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, framing an employee. That, like, if Toby had wanted to get Michael fired, he would have done. Like, he could have gotten him fired easily. Hmm. Because all he has to do is call up the police department and say, yes, we did come out because of a tip. Right. And that's, it just seems like it would have been easy. Well, I'll say too, we skipped over it real quick, but, um, Michael gives Pam that note. She's not oh, supposed to. Read. Yeah, definitely would have gotten him fired. And not, not for nothing and not to take this to a dark place, but the potential of Toby being the Scranton Strangler. <laughs> His weird, well, his regular attraction to Pam, but him being a very weird guy, plus the knee touch, I think, I don't know. 
without all that information, Toby probably wouldn't have believed the note. He'd be confused, but I think there's enough that Toby's a weirdo that he might have tried to hug Pam. Well, I don't think he would have just, like, tried to hug Pam, but I think there would have been, like, a whole, oh, you too, you know, because I've loved you, you know, having that sort of soliloquy, is that the right word? Anyway, where, you know, he's just, like, professing his love for Pam, and she's like, the fuck is going on? She looks at the note and like, oh, no, and things get super awkward. In an alternate office you know, universe, that happened, and it was hilarious. <laughs> Right. But not this office. Not this office. Like in Earth 2, in the multiverse, it happened. They they went the other direction. Yeah. Yeah, but I think even that note, because like that note is encouraging... Assault. Yeah, sexual assault on an employee. There's no way that flies, right? No, that's that's fired and probably jail time. Right. And this is something like I do have a little HR knowledge, but if you're in human resources and you want to be on the show to talk about this stuff, please email us because I would love to be like, just like be able to have checklists. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's fair. Um, So before we get to the big, the big plan, uh, there is a side story here. Um, Pam is in the kitchen and she's trying to make some soup. I think, I don't know. She, pops open some little plastic container and it's uh she goes to open the microwave and inside is just this mess right looks like red sauce and maybe meat and some and like burnt some cheese remnants and stuff yeah so it's all gross so presumably she's the one who writes that letter right right yeah yeah yeah, yeah so she writes a little letter and um in it she's basically talking about how you know, there's no respect if you leave the microwave in this condition and, you know, so on and so forth. And she walks in on the, um, into that room a little later and Oscar, Andy and Angela and Meredith are all in the room. And then like, kind of like this little debate happens between, you know, what's more obnoxious, the dirty microwave or the note, right? Right. And, um, I don't know. What do you think, man? Uh, I mean, they're both pretty obnoxious. Uh, you got to clean your microwave, especially if you don't have a crew to do it. Uh, just cover your fucking dish, right? That's really all you got to do. Um, well, I know the microwave gets a little weird, though, with that kind of thing. Because, uh, like, you know, it's like microwaves and things start to expand or whatever because of that. So I could see, like, the fear of things exploding. But that's also why you're supposed to like monitor what's in your microwave, right? Right. So I mean, people you know? will set up what's in the microwave and then walk away, and then and they come back and it's exploded. Right. Right. I mean, it now, really is sort of a common courtesy thing, but yeah, it's just just be nice to people, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm trying to remember. And I'm looking it up now, but I think there's deleted scenes. And it kind of becomes like a a note battle. But I'm trying to see if it's this episode or maybe I'm confusing it for another episode. Oh, boy. It's not even here. (laughs) Anyway, so there's something... Man, I mean, so let me explain it. Maybe you'll recall if it's a later episode or something. But um, So that note gets taken down, and then there's like a... um, 
a defensive note, talking about how if you have time to make a note, then maybe you've got time to clean the microwave. And it just becomes this never-ending series of notes from different people. And, you know, some are handwriting, some are typed, some are on different colors of paper or whatever. I think it's a deleted scene. Yeah, so I don't, that doesn't sound like anything yeah. I've seen. So there's this whole deleted storyline where, like, this, like, goes, you know, and just a bunch of anonymous letters posted all over the microwave or whatever. Right, which makes sense. And then Ryan comes up. He's like, hey, I'm totally with you, but, uh, you know, maybe you should. going to have to clean it. If Pam has his great just like deadpan, well, that's why we have temps. Yeah. <laughs> and he tries to play it off. He's like, no, I'd make it worse. Right. And there's sort of like, so there's like the microwave and there's another sort of mini storyline that Jim has decided to buy uh, his parents' house. Right. So that's happened. It, Andy just like read through his emails I guess he he walked by the desk and there was an open email, but honestly we see the cutaway and he's sitting at Jim's desk reading emails. Right. Right. I mean, it's just crazy. Like why would he do that? Um, so yeah, that, um, so the whole office realized like knows now about it. So they're all trying to give him like not tips, but they're like asking him or whatever. And obviously he wasn't like a hundred percent sure about the whole thing anyways. Right. So it's like making him feel a little like self-conscious or whatever, but um well I, I mean I, I did recently buy a house and we mm-hmm. were a hundred percent certain this is a house we wanted. It was a good price, all you know, it was everything, right? right. But I was still scared shitless, like wondering if I was making the right decision or not. You know, it's a big no matter how perfect it is, it's still a really big decision. I will say Jim has the benefit of having lived in that house. Like there's no better situation where you really know what you're going to buy. Because, for example, I just moved, so I'm in this new apartment. And there were some oddities that we were like a little concerned with and stuff. And you do that like pre-move-in check-in and stuff. And you're checking what's broken or what's not, what needs to be fixed before you get there. But you never really know how it all shakes out until you live there. Right, right. right. Um, so Jim, having lived there, he probably has the best understanding of buying something than anybody right. in that You know, he before. knows his parents have taken care of it. And... Right. He knows the oddities of the sink, and he knows how the water temperature is, and, uh, you know. Right. Same thing. He walked in knowing that that shag carpet was there and that the stupid clown painting was never going to come off the wall. And we also find out that he doesn't live very far from Creed, and they should go yeah. throw stuff down the quarry. Exactly. Um, and Phyllis kind of gives us the impression that's not a great area. Yeah, it's probably one of those areas that was older and, you know, used to be nicer and has kind of hit hard times. You think that's what it is? You don't think, like, there's criminal elements based on Creed's own kind of uh, thing? Maybe, but, well, that could be part of the hard times, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know how it is in Jersey, but PA got has been hit really hard for the last 20 years with the changes in demographics and uh, industries. Actually, there's a really big write-up in today's paper about how, uh, you know, industries are moving out of Pennsylvania, especially manufacturing, all that stuff. So there's a lot of towns. So it could easily could have been one of those places, especially being by a quarry that maybe they, it was nice while the quarry was running and now there's nothing there. And so it's not as nice. 
Yeah. I mean, Jersey's so densely populated. Really what ends up happening is like gentrification and then the opposite of whatever that is. So, <laughs> you know, you get, you know, certain types of families and, you know, uh, different types of economical situations moving to a new area and that makes it new. Those people get pushed out and they go to another area and that makes it not so nice. I mean, 20 years is a long time. We're talking about a couple of presidents here, you know, so. Right. Um, but, uh, but also, again, we don't really have empty spaces. If there's if there's a place where you can stand in New Jersey, someone probably lives there. <laughs> well, I just you get the impression that uh, his parents have owned that house for a long time, basically right. his entire life. So they've been there yeah. for like thirty years. But um, I mean, we could say it's not even the biggest part of the episode. So no, he no. does do the reveal to Pam, right? right? But it is it's an important. A uh, piece for the future of the relationship, you know. Mm. I mean, buy. I mean, in some respects, buying a house is a bigger deal than getting married. So. Oh yeah, right, definitely. Uh, um, so, but and we do see the house a few more times. You know, there's there's some things that happen around the house and next season, next couple of seasons. So, it's not really a big thing in this episode, but does bring stuff on down the road. It's a future location. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Do you think when Jim reveals that he purchased the house for Pam, she was happy already? Or was she not happy until she saw the garage? I always got the impression that she was not happy until she got saw the garage. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the intent of the writers was probably her being excited the whole time and kind of speechless until they're at the end of the tour and that's when she could gather her thoughts. But mostly because like I'm looking at that garage, right? And like I've had spaces in different apartments where like this space here makes a lot of sense for this one activity. Right. Right. Um, and it never turns into that, especially a garage. Like how long do you think it is before they start storing stuff in the garage and Pam's art space like slowly starts to become this little nook. Right. Right. So I felt like that probably wasn't the deal breaker. Uh, or rather the the positive, you know, catalyst for her digging it. I think um, she was probably happy the whole time, but well, it, was just, it was kind of I oddly mean, executed, I sor think. Sort of, it kind of felt like it was the nudge. Mm. You know, well, because I, I think the problem with the framing of it is that Jim already showed us the negatives about the house, right? Right. So we go in knowing that he kind of feels weird about it. And then we go through the tour where we show Pam. And I think we're already in that mindset. Or maybe if we saw the oddities of the house with Pam for the first time, we would be as surprised, you know, like it could have been cute to us or something. Right. But it's not like she's the first time she's ever been in the house. You know, it, she's probably been there a bunch of times. Uh, Yeah. But like, obviously... I don't know. I mean, I visit my girlfriend's parents' house and I'm not trying to critique their carpet, you know, or, or their, their choice in artwork in the hallways. <laughs> so there's like, I think there's just like kind of like a different kind of free, um, free thought process when now she knows she kind of co-owns this house. Right. I think that's one reason why like seeing the garage with the art set up was like, okay, she, it was the first time she saw it as potentially hers. Hmm. You know, so it was that it was the the next step. So, 
okay, this house is theirs, but when she saw the garage with all of her stuff, she's like, oh, this can be mine. Okay, okay. I'm not sold on it, Jacob. Well, I, I think it was more odd, odd pacing, but you perhaps. could be right. That's why I asked it, because it's not really clear, I think. All right, so let's uh, let's jump back to the office where Dwight has convinced Michael to frame Toby for using drugs. I don't know why he decided to do this, but he has. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you, the two Bob Vance Warehouse guys. Is this their first I think, appearance? I think it's their first appearance. I think so, because they kind of pop in and out for the rest of the, at least the next couple seasons. Yeah. And I think they're great. Yeah. There's they're no they're a fun little diversion. Yeah. There's no real reason to use them more than they were used. But when they show up, it's always a treat. Right. And this is sort of the first time that you really really get the feeling that other people work there besides them. You know, even though we've seen, like, we had the meeting of the five families and that kind of stuff, but this is the first time you really see other people working in this building besides Dunder Mifflinites. Yeah. Well, that, like, pretzel day. But yeah, pretzel day, you don't get the impression that they're just employees, right? Right. Because you don't, we don't know what they do for their job. Right, right. Um, so Michael goes up and he says, I heard you dealt and he needs drugs. And um, the quick thinking guy in the cap runs off and gets a little baggy of something and says, um, it'll be $500. For two pounds. For two pounds which, of marijuana. It, well, which didn't look didn't look like two pounds. Like, I don't know. I think if you were to hold that baggie in your hands, you would know it wasn't two pounds. Yeah, but Michael's not the brightest bulb in the box. No, no. Like, I don't know much about weed. Like, is $500 a good price for two pounds? You know what? I think my girlfriend and I tried to calculate it, and we think it is a good price. Okay. Though, though, I mean, technically speaking, I guess we could presume that maybe that's wholesale price, right? You're buying in bulk. You get a little bit of savings, maybe. Um, but so, but that that's it's only if it were actually fifteen dollars an ounce. How much? Fifteen dollars an ounce. Hmm. If it was, if it was actually two pounds. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's pretty good. Fifteen dollars, one five. Yeah, one five. And like, did I did I not math that correctly? Um, uh, yeah, no, that that's a steal. Divide by thirty-two. Thirty-two, because it's thirty-two ounce, sixteen ounces in a pound. Yeah, fifteen point six dollars an ounce. Yeah, that's a that is a, a that's probably what a dealer would pay for, so that they could upsell maybe. Using my Breaking Bad history. <laughs> But apparently he's losing money on the deal, but we know he isn't. We know he just like sizes no, up Michael immediately. Right. Cause, that's the thing. That pricing structure would be insane if we were actually talking about drugs. But the fact that we're talking about a mozzarella and basil salad. Right. Is, right. Is where. Uh, but, but you know, you know, everyone in that building knows who Michael Scott is. And you oh, yeah. especially you know, know that like. Bob Vance talks so much shit about Michael to his crew. He's like, you would not believe what my wife's boss did today. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that's like, 
there's probably like story time with Bob where like t- three times a week he just gathers around everybody and like tells the horror stories of Michael Scott. Yeah. Uh, but so he, he gets this bag filled with presumable drugs. And, um, you know, when Toby's out of the workspace, right. he finds right. some time to sneak it into his top right drawer. And then Dwight calls in, not even an anonymous tip, he calls in a tip as Andy. Which is, I'm presuming, very, very illegal. Which part? <laughs> all of it? Well, yes, all of it, but him giving Andy's name, you know, is right. I'm pretty sure that's a crime. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it's the false tip, I guess maybe what it was was a safety net. So, like, okay, the cops find out that this was not a real thing. Right. And um, so when they find that out, then they'll blame Andy. Right. And if they never find it out, then it doesn't really matter who called. Right. Well, I mean, it's obvious why Dwight would pick Andy, right? Because he, if he does, if they do get in trouble, he wants Andy getting in trouble. Right. So he can get back with Angela. Mm-hmm. Um, so the drugs are in there. Drugs, quote unquote. Um, the 5-0 shows up. Dwight takes the lead, goes to show them to the annex. Creed <laughs> bugs out. Bless you, cat. Sorry. Um, so, uh, you know, Creed goes to the talking headroom in the conference room. And he says, just keep pretending like we're talking. Yeah. Because um, who knows what he has recently done that is on, has him on edge. Probably anything. Probably anything, yeah. So the cops show up and they're, you know, immediately they find it, right? They open it up. The um the younger of the two officers starts to cuff Toby, and then the older cop opens up the bag and it's like it's like a crazy salad. Yeah, you see the mozzarella right here. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you know that that kind of kind of peters out there. The cops are like, all right, we got a fake tip. Let's leave. Uh, Michael and Toby have a bit of a a chat about how Toby's concerned that the police could have been out there saving real lives or stopping real crime. Instead, instead of he's not as concerned about Michael framing him as he is about the cop's time and the taxpayer. Right. And, um, and then we have, uh, one of those rare two people talking heads and, um, he's like, you want to hear a lie? You're my best friend. I love you <laughs> or whatever. Um, right, and we close out with Dwight talking about his perfect crime. Right, which involves banging Tiffany, daughter of the man who owns Tiffany's, stealing a chandelier, hiding in Canada, dodging this woman and his son, who becomes the chief of police, who knows where, and um, finally him going to Belgium where he stashed the chandelier the whole time. <laughs> It's totally yeah. nonsense. Yeah, he really thought this out big time. He did. Uh, so what do you think, man? What would you give this episode? Uh, it was good. You know, it was fun. Lots of stuff going on. And one thing we got to hit before we finish this up is this is when Ryan, quote unquote, goes to Thailand. That's right. With friends from a high school. Yes. And <laughs> Kelly's like, you're breaking up with me? He's like, no, well, sort of, but we should have sex one more time and you should give me all the money you have. She's right, like, right. okay. <laughs> Which I know, she presumably does. she does yeah. because, you know, she is hooked on Ryan. Um, 
Yeah, then we don't see him for a stretch. We don't see him again until what? Michael Scott Paper Company. Right, which I don't yeah. know why he did it this way. Oh, he writes a he? he writes another episode, but I don't know if he just they didn't have him out or if he just wanted to take a break from acting because he does write two episodes in the time that he's gone. So I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, it's tough because we were trying to figure out why Oscar left the show after Gay Witch Hunt, right? Right. Um, and we couldn't really figure out even with his filmography if he had done something specifically during that time. So, yeah, who knows? Um, I try to think. I just watched. Um, I just watched a movie today. Won't say what movie. And there was a character in it who wasn't in a previous installment of this movie, and the character dies. Right. Whatever. Um, and I was like, well, I can't help but think they just brought this person in to kill him off, you know? So it's like, uh, um, you know, why, uh, how, how do they explain Ryan's like, like why, why have him go away if he still works for the show or whatever? Like what, what purpose does that leave? Cause it's not Maybe like just a budget thing, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, Oh, we don't need right. to pay, but he is in the credit. So he gets paid regardless. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So who, who knows? knows? But yeah, so he splits Thailand. Thailand. Uh, so I I gave this a three point two out of five, losing money on this deal. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I liked it a little bit better than that. I gave it a um a three point seven out of five little pieces of mozzarella. <laughs> so up next we have. The surplus, right? Which is this is a fun episode. I like this one. Yeah, uh, written by Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stupinski, and directed by Paul Feig. Yeah, big, I mean, some big hitters right here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the episode starts with probably the best explanation of what a surplus is in all of TV history. I right. think um, anybody who teaches like ep- economics or accounting or anything like that should use this scene to explain what a surplus is. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, but essentially they have a surplus of like what? $4,300 or something. And Oscar is making a plea that they should spend the money before the end of the day. Otherwise they lose it for next year. Um, two things that stood out to me is one, is this like, why is Michael only hearing about the surplus the day of? Right, I feel like at least a week before they would know that they would have a surplus. Uh, it, it kind of depends on how um, things shake out, right? So they may maybe there's a vendor that hasn't accepted a payment yet, so it rolls over to the next fiscal year. You know, there, there's lots of stuff that, or maybe they just haven't finished closing the books out yet. Right. Uh, you know, I don't really know how. This would happen, but it seems that, you know, it makes a little sense, especially because you got to figure it's a multi-million dollar comp, you know, they're running millions of dollars through Scranton a year right. with all the sales and everything. So you're probably talking and looking at like probably like less than 1%. Or around a percent, one percentage point. So it could have been like a rounding error that they found, mm-hmm. you, you know, something like that. So it doesn't really 
strike me as that odd. Well, because then I guess the whole point of this episode is two factions are created to decide what the office buys. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. And my company that I work for is very slow in decision-making because, you know, there's so many different levels of approval, but like, how are they going to, so spoiler alert for what we're going to talk about in 35 seconds, but (laughs) some people want a new copier. Some people want new chairs, right? Right. Within seven hours, it would be impossible for my company to decide on either or. And if we did decide either or, which versions of those things to get, you know? Right. So obviously Michael has some kind of ability to authorize this kind of payment to somebody in a hurry, right? Right, right. Um, I don't know why well, he didn't just... decide what kind of copier you get? Or how do you know what chairs are good? Well, going back to chair model, we know that... Um, Pam has been wanting this new chair for quite some time. Yeah. So, I mean, this is roughly six months. If you, if you take, you know, calendar real time versus, you know, what's being shown on TV uh, as fairly accurate, which they tend to be, um, then it's, you know, she's been wanting this new chair for quite a while. She knows exactly what she wants. Uh, sure, but I feel like... I mean, they probably all get the same chair, though, right? You would think so. Yeah. So, but I mean, like, you have to find the vendor. You have to make sure it's in stock. Then you place the order. And I mean, if it is that easy and you know what chair you want, that's fine. But then with the printer and stuff, like, printers have so many features. Right. I mean, unless unless Oscar just knew, you know, he had done the research, what he wanted. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, obviously, because they don't decide, too, till like, the end of the day. Right. right, which doesn't seem like enough time to spend it, but maybe they can re- build a like a purchase order before the end of the day that would count towards the budget. Yeah, because that's what I wonder too. Because I would have assumed that the money has to be out of the account or you know whatever for it to be actually part of the budget spent. Uh, it's all. It really depends. Uh, because I know what some smaller companies will do is they'll write themselves bonus checks on December 31st and wait to see how their taxes come out. And depending on how that will come out, they'll cash those checks. And since they were written on the 31st, they count towards the previous year's taxes. Yeah, because that's the other thing, too. This must be the end of a fiscal quarter, right? I mean, I didn't even look when this episode aired. But- uh, this this uh, aired in December so oh, yeah. so we're like at the end of Q4, basically. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's a weird timing for it to be, unless their fiscal year is December to November, which is right. I've never seen, but everyone has weird fiscal years. I mean, having a January, December fiscal year is really yeah. abnormal yeah. for most company, most big companies. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, so there you go, guys. And, that's that's grown-up talk there on the, uh, the Great Scott And, and this is here. also a terrible way to budget because it incents people to spend more money than they have to. Well, that's the to thing. To continually yeah. grow their budget. Yeah. Well, that's why the manager gets the, the bonus to come in under budget as like the leader, you know? Right. 
because uh, when I used to work at Blockbuster, we had, you know, you have like store goals and stuff and you get people to sign up for incentive programs or whatever. When you get close, you get a, you know, you get a bonus. But obviously the manager got the biggest bonus of the bunch because it's like based on percentage or some crap. Um, so obviously the, that's why the manager feels so incentivized to push his or her employees to do better because they get the thing. No one's ever altruistic enough to be like, come on, guys, don't you want a bonus? It's like, come on, guys. Well, th- I mean, that seemed like, may- I mean, this is the one thing I didn't understand because if I were Michael, you know, there's what, like, you could essentially give everyone four or $500, right? And there's what, like 10 people in that office, maybe 12? Oh, to like give them bonuses out of that Surplus? Right, just split it evenly. Everyone gets a nice Christmas bonus, right? Nice little extra. Well, that's the, I guess the thing is I wonder what – I don't even know what the budget is that they're referring to. Right. Because is, like, uh, is it like their administrative office supply budget? Or is I think it like it's their... like the entire office's gross spending for the year budget. Right, and, and then does payroll come out of that budget? That's a good question. Because then, yeah, would the bonuses kind of be like odd? But yeah. that's a good point. That that's probably the best way to go. It's, well, it's then, definitely Michael, because no one's going to get upset, right? Right. Like right. Oscar might really want a new copier, or Pam might really want a new chair, but you get an extra three or four hundred dollars, they're going to be happy camp. That's money going to your stolen laptop. You know, that's right. Yeah. Um, okay. So Oscar explains this thing. He goes, uh, Michael goes. Wait, out that's actually a really good question. Do you hmm. think that? Because of the robbery and the right. insurance payout, that's why they were higher than they. Sh- Do you think that's why they came in under budget? Uh, no, because same thing. Like I don't know. Does that insurance money go directly to that branch only, or does it go to Dunder Mifflin Corporate? Or yeah, I mean there there's lots of there's lots of inconsistencies. Yeah, I mean again the this the the team here is writing show about running a business without probably a lot of business know-how in and of themselves. Right. And so when they get so in, just kind of yeah, when they get into the minutiae of running a business, sometimes they do kind of miss. Yeah. So we, we end up with these two factions. Right. Copier versus chairs. And Oscar the first time, Pam. oh, but bigger, Jim versus Pam. Well, that's fair too. Because um, Jim, since they started dating, felt weird asking her to make copies. Right. So he's been making his own copies, and that sucks. Because yeah. it, like, apparently it's just a terrible machine. And it does look like an old crappy machine. I'll, I'll give him that. So, because we got one of the newer ones at work that's pretty cool. So, like, you can, like, e- you can scan something and just email it to, like, 10 people with, like, click of a button. It's nice. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I get it. I mean, yeah. I, if well, who would you choose here in this situation? I mean, and I obviously we don't know. We don't have firsthand knowledge of how terrible these two things are. Right. And so I don't, man, me personally with, if my job there had any kind of reflection on my, well, my job where I work now has any kind of reflection on my job at Dunder Mifflin, I would go with chair. Mm-hmm. Like my chair, 
my first chair at my job was so bad, I bought a chair and brought it to work. Like out of my own pocket, I bought an, a better chair and took it to work. So that's, I mean, cause you're there. I mean, if you're an office worker, you're in that chair six, eight, nine hours a day, you know, so you need a comfortable chair. So for me, it would be a chair. I think I'm, I'm with you and I'm in the marketing department. So we do a lot of like flyers and printouts and stuff, but I would like just pay for it, you know? get some stuff done at a Kinko's or a Staples or a local print shop or some shit Well, and also, like, printing is different than copying, right? So if it's just a copy, it's... Because where is their printer? Well, it's probably a part of the copier, but it depends on which part of the copier is really being stupid, right? Uh, Yeah, but, I mean, they've only got the space for that that copier, you know, if it goes, they're putting one in that spot. Right, right. I mean, the Annex and Toby probably don't use that. They, you know, they had that, what, that dot matrix or whatever later in, um, at the last season. Right. When Dwight Jr. is using it. But, um. So this, this is off topic, but I'm having to move cubicles tomorrow. Okay. And so part of that is I've got to find the new printer. Right. That I'm going to be using. So I, I made the mistake because I work at a fairly large company and every printer in the entire company is networked. So I clicked the find printer button and it brought up like, I kid you not, 17,000 printers on the network. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a tech guy, but that sounds nuts. But I know sometimes there's like, you do print and you could print two and like you print to a program or something. Is that possible that that was happening or no? No, no, they were all physical, physical printers. printers. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. Well, I mean, I work for a pretty big company. We have like 200 plus buildings across the country. Right. Uh, so, but actually, yeah, I use that print to all the time for like, like print to PDF. Like if you have something you just want to like send to somebody, print to PDF. It's great. Yeah. I have these PDFs all the time because people are always messing with my documents. Those bastards. (laughs) All right. We're back on track. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) two factions. And then, so we start to see some really clever kind of playing of Michael, right? Well, and they all, they all quickly jump on play to Michael's vanity. Right. So it starts off with Oscar inviting, well, Pam tries to just make a regular plea. Right. Um, but Oscar invites Michael to lunch, and Jim swoops in and is like, hey, what are you guys doing? Going to lunch? I'll go. And it's a great time, and everybody's laughing when they come back, and then Pam's like, okay, I see how it is. So she puts on some red lipstick. Fluffs she goes hair. in, and she's putting on her big smile, and she's laughing. And yeah, and then she goes for like the, you know, Oh, your jacket's really nice, and I like your pants. And where's that tie from? TJ Maxx. Um, that's right. So, and, uh, where do you think they took Michael? Well, every time Michael goes to lunch, I'm either thinking Hooters or Benihana. But the tiramisu <laughs> doesn't match up with really either of those, though. That is accurate. Um, I was going to say Cogino's, but that's Always Sunny because I've been watching a lot of Always Sunny. Um, I don't know. They they must have a. Uh, Aside from the two pizza places, they must have some Italian places they referenced. 
Poor Richard's is a seafood slash bar. Is that what that is? I just thought it was a bar. I didn't know they had food. Yeah, because where does he take Holly when they get lobster? That's not Poor Richard's. Is that Mike's? Oh, maybe. Yeah, so maybe they don't mention Italian stuff specifically. Um, But obviously there's pizza by Alfredo, uh, Alfredo's Pizza. (laughs) Right, right. So I don't know if one of those places have tiramisu or even a sit-down place. Oh, you know what? Uh, They go to that Italian joint with um, the insurance dude. Yeah, maybe they went there. Who knows? Yeah, could be. But it seems like they would have taken him to Hooters. I mean, that the reason they didn't take him to Hooters because Hooters wasn't paying for the sponsorship. But it yeah. seems like if I were Jim, I would have taken him to Hooters. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they come back. Jim gives Pam some tiramisu as like a a truce kind of thing. She immediately throws it into the garbage, and then she puts on her lipstick and goes to do her thing. And she's got Michael dancing with his butt. Um, and then we just basically see the whole office kind of bending to his will. You know, he, he still scoffs at Toby, but people are opening doors for him and handing him coffee and saying hi and doing inside jokes and high fives and all that jazz. Right. I mean, it's probably his best day ever, honestly. Oh, yeah, because everyone cares about Michael. Right. Um, so before we get too deep into this, let's let's hop over to the B storyline. So... Andy and Angela are going to Shrew Farms to check out the venue for the wedding. Right. Um, and they don't really like their directions, you know, 120 paces or walk until you hear the beehive. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Very Dwight directions. Yeah, Angela gives this face when uh, Andy's reading it. She goes like a, come on, dude. Like... Like, I know you live this way, but you also know no one else lives this way. Right. You know? Um, yeah, I was cracking up. I made my girlfriend watch it, like, twice, but she was like, it's fine. That's why. Um, whoops. Did I lose you? I'm here. No, I'm, I'm here. It just, you're, you're, it sounds like you're using a different mic. Oh, no. Technical difficulties. Stand by. Um, input. Oh no, that should be the same. <laughs> um, okay, you keep talking while I figure this out, though. But yeah. Okay, so they uh, they decide that they're going to do this. Uh, they they bring up the whole. Or Angela brings up the whole bathroom situations, like. Well, we'll just dig a trench as long as we're downhill from the well. It won't be a big deal. But Grandma Mimi's not squatting over the trench. And Dwight, in his Dwightness, is just like, oh, we'll just put out a stump. No big deal. (laughs) Like, screw regular bathrooms. (laughs) And all this good stuff. Uh, And we also learned this episode that so far that Andy has lost eight deposits. And seen Angela naked zero times. So he, they still haven't had sex together. So, and we don't know about Moroccan Christmas. So sometime between this episode and the duel, she has sex with Andy twice, which is a big, which is actually a pretty big plot point because it sort of diffuses the whole situation in the duel, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, can you, can you hear me? Yeah. It sounds like you're in like a, like a cave or something. You're, 
Sounds like you're a thousand miles away. Hey. No, still terrible. Oh my god. This is great, guys. <laughs> okay. Keep going again. <laughs> uh, so my question is, did Andy get any of, or did, did Dwight get any of it, Andy's money? Because we know that he's been losing deposits left, right, everywhere. So did did he lose any money to uh, Dwight at all? Um, well, it's hard for me to answer because I sound like crap. But uh, yeah, probably right. Right. So like, do we know of any like? But he never says anything about fees or anything like that. So yeah, we don't even know how much. Dwight was charging him, right? Right. Yeah, there, there, there's no telling how much he was charging, and so they're they're doing this. Um, you know, they're they're going around the grounds of True Farm, showing them off, and they finally make it to this, um, like where where the wedding would actually take place. And, you know, Dwight's all like, hey, and they run through this thing with this Mennonite, German Mennonite minister who doesn't speak a word of English, apparently, which knowing Dwight may or may not be true. I don't know. It's probably true. It's probably true. Yeah. Uh, So he does that and he basically tricks Angela into marrying him. And not basically, he completely put tricks Angela into marrying him. Right, right. Uh, and it's a pretty crafty plan, right? Right. I don't think I, I, I don't think as it was happening, I realized it until after, which is maybe I was being a little dense, but perhaps. Uh, one thing that I, I kind of wondered because it when she's done. She's all like, you know, Dwight, uh, I picked the wrong person. Seeing you with everything just made me want you. He's like, oh, that's great because we're married. So part of me wonders if he hadn't have tricked her, would she have just gotten dumped Andy and gone gotten back with Dwight? Well, that's what I thought the play was, was to kind of set this mood and get it in her head that she's like, oh, this is right. But I didn't think he was going to go the full nine and like, uh, you know, do the whole uh, marriage thing for real. Right, right, for sure. Um, can we also say how great it is that Andy keeps stepping in shit? <laughs> it's such a silly little joke, but it's great every time. And Ed Helms plays it off so well. Like they're in the um, the dining room or whatever. He's like, "Why is that here?" Right, right, for sure. And I also love that, like, in the background, you see Moe's peg Andy with something. Like, it looks like, like a gourd of something, like a pump, like small pumpkin. Yeah, it looks like a, like a homemade, like, a football or something. It's like made of, you know, it's like makeshift shaped. And like you said, it's shaped like a pumpkin or some nonsense. Right. Um, so I don't know what the legal ramifications are after that. Probably just an annulment, right? Right. Since they didn't, well, I mean, part of it is when did they have sex? But then you have to like she wasn't a willing participant, so I don't, I don't know exactly how all that would play out. I don't know the local laws here, uh, 
But yeah, it just would seem like a pretty straightforward annulment. Yeah, yeah. So that that's pretty easy. Not too bad. Yeah, because I think there's there's something about uh, you know want of understanding of what was happening. And she obviously didn't realize what was happening, so she can't be legally bound because she didn't in- enter into the contract uh, in full faith. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Um, so then, yeah, so they get back to the office or whatever, and um, what do you call it? I don't know why it's shot this way. It's kind of confusing to me because it's not really a joke, but Andy eats a tuna sandwich after saying he's eating big tuna. Right, and um, and then Angela kisses him, and they kind of. I mean, that's it. It's just to show Dwight that she picked Andy still, and then she makes that comment about how she has a legal matter to fix. But I was still really confused about him taking a big old bite of tuna fish. Right, I, gross, I think part right? of it's just because to show like how he will just keep a joke going no matter what. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he was legitimately eating tuna. I don't think he. <laughs> he had tuna that day for lunch to make the joke. I guess it ju- it just feels like there's some oddity, like maybe there was more going on with him eating a fish sandwich while getting kissed that maybe got cut somewhere. It just seems weird. I, I, every time I watch it, I'm all like, what's the point of him eating that sandwich? Right, yeah, I feel you there. And then, yeah, so, but obviously, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just, like, too nosy of, like, my girlfriends and fiancés and such. Well, when I had... When I had... Currently, (laughs) But, we, like, wouldn't you have a lot of questions if your girlfriend said, I have some legal matters to take care of? Yeah, I mean, even in the last episode, if, uh, you know, if my significant other was giving me a drive home from work and she said hey, we just have to stop somewhere before we go home. Like, at some point during that drive, I'd be like, where are we going? And then if he said, well, we're going to go to my parents' house, I'd be like, well, why are we going to my parents' house, you know? Right, There's a well, lot of instances where you feel like the significant other would follow up with more questions after that statement, but they just don't. Right, and so there's something, maybe she recognized, you know, quickly that they were going to her their parents' house, so she's going like, well, this is weird, but okay, whatever. Right. I mean, Jim seems like the kind of guy who would have, like, dinner with his family once a week if he lived in the same kind of town, you know, in the same area. Sure. Right, right. Which, so, that's that's what, I don't know. Um. Anyway, so, yeah, it just seems like a weird thing to me. Like, why doesn't Andy just, like, okay. Or maybe that's something that all these accountants always have to do, so... Well, I wonder, too, if Andy's just been so conditioned at this point not to ask questions of Angela. That's a good point. Maybe not. She just treats him like an idiot all the time anyways. Right. Um, but, yeah, so that happens, and then we're still in the office, and now Michael has um, kind of – he's ha- he needs outside help now, right, to make this decision. Right, and he brings in Hank for his sage advice, which is totes racist. <laughs> But he actually has some know-how about both of these things. That's true. That's true. He knows of the amazing copiers that exist now. He also is aware that the current chairs don't offer lumbar support. Um, but Michael kicks him out before he can make a decision. Right, because it's apparently very warm up there, and he doesn't want to go back down to his cold nook. Yeah. 
And in a really clever move, Michael's like, you guys decide, or I'm going to take the bonus. And it's a good move, I think, but um, it, he can only revel in that for a short period of time. Right. Um, yeah, Oscar and Pam <laughs> interrupt him during his little talking head where he's bragging about it. Mm-hmm. And they say that they're going to get chairs because Oscar would rather have something than nothing. Right, right. And, you know, that's probably what I would have done, too. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good move. But it's really funny that you see Michael dumping sugar into his diet soda. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then so before the episode ends, Michael has gone out. Well, he's bragging about now how his team is much better at making decisions than he thought. And um, he recommends not buying a fur coat from Burlington Coat Factory on a credit card. Right. Um, And that also people will throw fake blood at you. (laughs) It's very true. It's very true. They will throw fake blood on you. So, I mean, obviously you guys have Burlington Coat Factories. Uh, I've never seen one in Pittsburgh. Because they're all over Jersey, and there's I mean, actually aren't they essentially town. like yeah. Rosses or TJ Maxxes? I mean, it's really just coats and okay. jackets of this. Yeah, um, no pants or shirts or anything like that. And there is actually a town called Burlington in Jersey, but I don't know if that's where they're from. Um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, anything else? I think that's pretty much how the episode ends. It's just kind of like a little thing there. Right. Right. Um. So if I had to rate this episode, I mean, I always like it when the office splits into factions like that. So I'm going to give it another 3.7 out of fives. Uh, Michael slowly shrinking in chairs. <laughs> yeah, I gave this just a, a straight three out of five. It's a good episode. Not great. Just kind of there. Uh, we do. The only real major plot point is the stuff with Andy and Angela and Dwight and it's the B story. So. Right. So I gave us a three out of five hair in our uh, tiramisu. <laughs> it's great. Um, okay. Up uh, next. Okay. Um, so up next, we have uh, Moroccan Christmas. It's um, written by Justin Spitzer and directed by Paul Feig. And, um, yeah, it's my favorite Christmas episode, I think. I could be wrong. Benny Hunter Christmas is really good. Yeah, if I'm right, yeah, that's probably my favorite one. Season two or season three Christmas is are both really good. Yeah, yeah. We do have um, get one of the more memorable cold opens where uh, Jim replaces Dwight's desk with what looks like a Christmas wrap. Like, it looked like he wrapped desk, uh, Dwight's desk in wrapping paper. Right. Um, and, you know, Dwight makes some snide comment about how long it must have taken Jim and how quickly Dwight's going to take it apart. Because he can skin a mule deer in 10 minutes, which I don't know if that's a good time or not, but apparently, according to Dwight, it is. I mean, I could imagine skinning anything in 10 minutes. Yeah, I've never tried to skin anything, so <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. Um, so Dwight sits on the chair. And it falls through, and everything is made of cardboard, and it's hilarious. Correct. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It must have taken him a while. But also, as the show goes on, Jim's pranks become more time-invested on his own behalf, right? 
Right. Um, yeah, he definitely has a lot of time to do things. Yeah. Um. So Phyllis is still responsible for the party planning committee, right? Correct. And she has opted to run this Moroccan-themed Christmas party. Um, there's alcohol at the party, and you know she's got ornate decorations, and everybody gets fezes. It's she really like uh goes full out, you know. Right, and you know it looks really good. And so I yeah. guess they changed the policy because every Christmas after um season two, they have alcohol at the party. Right. Um, well, it, yeah, so I always wondered if it was an office thing, because does Toby say something about it, or is that like an Angela choice? Uh, Toby says something about alcohol in season two. Yeah, that's what, what I think I'm recalling. Yeah, well, they changed it, or maybe they're doing it on the, the DL, you know, mm-hmm. sneaking in some booze, but, um. And this is the first time we see that little, like alcohol podium for lack of a better word bar in the conference room yeah because we see this at least one more time in season eight uh but i we might see it again so like someone invested some money in a bar area kind of thing for people yeah yeah um and so michael's making up drinks half of them are already real drinks or whatever um but the first one is the one of everything, if I recall. Right. And, Which and is... Drink, but it's all these really intense... Scotch, absinthe, stuff, right? gin, vermouth, triple sec. There might be something else, I don't know, in two... Um, in two packs of Splenda, which is like his thing for alcohol, is just two packs of Splenda. Yeah, he puts it in that... Um, I don't know what it was. That David Wallace gives him. Yeah, the Scotch... Well, yeah... Uh, he, he asked for Splenda during, uh, cocktails when he goes to David Walls' house and he has the scotch from the Iacocca and then he asked for Splenda at the board meeting. Yep. So, yeah, that's just Um, his thing. The other drink he makes up is the (laughs) orange vodjuska. Right. Uh, which is just, what is that called? Just a screwball, really, right? Screwdriver. Screwdriver, that's it. Talk right. Drink, cut it. And it, Jim's like, how has no one ever thought to put these two flavors together before? Yeah. Um, yeah, and for all, for all intents and purposes, the party seems to be going off pretty well. Everybody's having fun. I mean, Angela's not, but she hasn't been having fun at any of these parties, really. Right. And Andy um, is on the sitar singing about nudity in France. On Christmas. Um, yeah, and you know what's funny? I mean, I don't know, uh, but obviously I have, I've been, I play guitar a little bit, and I've known other people who do, and there really is always that one dude who is at a party who sees a guitar and can't help but pick it up, and then it's just kind of like the worst dude at the party for the whole <laughs> night, you know? Right. Because um, they're over there strumming along something, or they're just mucking about or whatever, and like, a couple times people come up and have to be like, dude, like, come on. This is annoying, dude. Come on, chill out. Yeah, yeah. And he gets into that one bit where I guess they're, it's kind of slow because, you know, we, well, there's a meeting that happens that we'll talk about that kind of puts a damper on the whole party. 
but and he's just strumming all the strings wide open, and it's just this nasty wow, and uh, everybody's just gawking at him because that dude is the worst dude at the party. Right, right. And during all this too, like Phyllis is just being a straight bitch to Angela, which like Angela don't definitely deserves, but it's a bad look on Phyllis. Yeah, well, yeah, and I don't know why, but there is something that's like, maybe it's because we know Angela. So when she's mean, she's just being Angela. And then when she's nice, that's the surprise. But because we know Phyllis could be like a nice lady. Right. And then to see her be this mean. And because we know, I mean, it's weird too, because Phyllis is like, uh, it's like Jerry from Parks and Rec. She just seems like she bounces back, right? In a way that, like, Angela is obviously having a lot of trouble coping, you know? Like, she's not used to being this uh, number two push-down kind of person. Right. Um, But everybody starts getting crunk, Meredith especially, um, to the point where her head is on fire. And uh, Dwight, the, um, well, the, the previously, the previous sheriff deputy... He's also the fire uh, safety officer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know if you've ever burned your hair, Jacob. I have not. It's messed up. <laughs> it gets all tiny and shriveled, and it's smelly, and, it's, you know, hair's already dead, but it's much deader at that point. There's really not <laughs> a lot you can do about it. <laughs> Which is okay, because... Uh, during the lice episode, she shaves all of her head off anyway, so... Right, yeah, she doesn't have much regard for her hair. Yeah, so she's she's probably going to bounce back just fine. Um, but this fire situation causes a lot of the folks in the office to figure out if they should hold an intervention for Meredith. Right, and, and they're all like looking at their calendars like, okay, want to do it after we get back from the holidays? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we so learned like that Michael on- celebrates privately for Groundhog Day. Right. Which you know involves multiple viewings of the great Bill Murray's Groundhog Day. That's exactly right. Well, and I'm sure too, I mean, if I, if I think, I imagine Michael feels like it's possible, right? To relive Groundhog's Day. <laughs> um, so what I imagine he's doing is doing good things throughout the day in case that's the day that repeats. <laughs> so that he's just repeating good stuff. That's what I'd have to imagine, and why he. Or maybe he's release. thinking like maybe he's trying to set things up so if it gets repeated over and over again, he can like hook up with a hot girl and all that stuff. Right, like he's he's in a place where he could like, yeah, not be miserable, not stuck in a small town reporting on whether or not a groundhog is going to come out. Right. Right. Um. So eventually they're like, let's just do it at the party. So they all sit in a circle right outside Michael's office on pillows and stuff, and the whole staff is there. But it feels like they haven't really clued everybody in on what's happening, right? Right. Um, So when they're trying to look for the support or whatever, it's kind of half-assed. Oh, for sure, for sure. So people are like, you know, when has Meredith's drunkenness affected you? And Kevin shows an example where it was awesome. Right, because right, she got too drunk to go to the movies. Obviously, a time before Uber. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, he's like, that That was really cool. I really enjoyed that. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and then Michael has a document that he's reading from 
but it's like, what is it? It's like a Mormon thing? Yeah, it's from, like, have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Yeah, yeah. So they are not prepared, and Oscar and uh, Toby decide, like, we should probably call this off. Um, Right. Well, Toby's like, look, we can't do this, but he kind of gets just ran over. Uh, But, yeah, he just... Eventually, he's like, nope, this is over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And again, this is something 100% you can't do. Because there was alcohol at the party, she can't get in trouble for drinking too much. Like, she can't get fired or anything like that. Yeah, not fired. I mean, maybe written up. I don't know. I don't really know how work rules would work in conjunction with imbibing in alcohol. Right. I feel like you'd still have to keep some type of respectable demeanor about you because you're still in the workplace, you know? Well, I mean, she... But again, not fired, but maybe a write-up or something. Well, no, because they provide the alcohol. I don't think they could. She could definitely, you know, get some societal backlash, obviously, but... Mm. Well, let me tell you. I mean, this is an evening of technical difficulties and tangents, but... uh... My company goes to Vegas twice a year for these various trade shows that we do. And a couple of years ago, uh, a new sales rep at the time went and had a couple of drinks. I guess too many for my bosses uh, to feel comfortable with. And they came back and it was just the talk of the town. <laughs> They're like, oh, Betty's an alcoholic or whatever. It was, it was very nuts. And now there's no alcohol allowed anywhere because Betty ruined it. Betty's just the worst, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, there's no alcohol, really. I mean, you can, like, the company won't pay for alcohol where I work, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so the side story here is that Dwight has gone out and purchased a bunch of princess unicorn dolls, which are basically the hot toy of that year in this world, right? Right akin to Tickle Me Elmo, Furby, and I don't Wii? Know, Xbox 360 Wii, some shit like that. Have you ever uh, overpaid for something to make sure it was there on Christmas? No, I can't say that I have. I mean, well, I don't have kids, and my brother and I are close enough in age where I never felt like I was taking care of him in that regard. So probably not, though I do recall one Christmas where I purchased my brother a hat, from a character from League of Legends. We had seen it at Comic-Con, and it was all over the place, so I go online to figure out where to buy it, and it's from, like, direct manufacturer in China. Um, I forgot I ordered it. It doesn't come until, like, the end of February. So it was, like, a very pleasant surprise to everybody. I was like, oh, yeah, this is Merry Christmas. (laughs) Fortunately, it wasn't my only Christmas gift, but um, terrible. Um, So he's got all these Princess Unicorn dolls, and he's basically hustling them out of the office, right? He's got people coming right. in, he's overcharging. So uh, my question is like, I mean, that doll couldn't have been more than like 30, 40 bucks normally, right? Yeah, at most, yeah. So, I mean, he's probably clearing at least 150 bucks a doll and he's got like 40 of them. <laughs> he probably makes a better part of 10 grand that day. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's been a while, and again, maybe because I'm not young anymore, I don't know what the toy crazes are. Um, I mean, the last but, one I really, really remember was the was when the Wii came out. 
you know, that was what, like 10 years ago? That sounds about right. Yeah, because I remember driving from Stillwater to Wichita, like Christmas Eve with my dad, because what? Because I have a bunch of younger brothers, I have four younger brothers, and that was like the group Christmas gift was the Wii. Right. He ended up paying double price for it, but while all their friends were still trying to wait to get one, they had one on Christmas, so it was worth the money. Yeah, that's fair. Um. Asking price was two hundred dollars, according to this here. Right. Yeah. He he was charging two hundred. So I so yeah, you got to figure that thing couldn't have cost more than. Grant, I'm not up on what dolls cost, but couldn't have been more than twenty or thirty bucks, maybe yeah. forty. Unless it had like batteries and some kind of kung fu grip or something. Yeah, <laughs> twenty bucks seems to be like the max I think for that kind of thing. It's also a USB drive, yeah. like the, the you flip yeah. back the horn, and plug it in. Um, so a bunch of people come in, um, uh, some people even during the, um, the intervention, but, um, Toby eventually tries to buy one, right? Right. And, um, he gets a little overly cocky, calls his daughter, Sasha. He's like, Hey, have you ever heard of princess unicorn? She starts bugging out or whatever, but Toby doesn't have the doll yet. Right. So he approaches, uh, Dwight. He's like, Hey, I'd like to buy one of your dolls as Daryl's walking away after just purchasing one. And Dwight's like, Nope, you got the last one. And, um, you know, he's trying to buy the doll from Daryl, and he offers, no, the asking price is $400, right? Right. Um, and Toby's like, I only have, what, two, 250 something like that? Right. And um, Daryl's like, you can owe me. So <laughs> Toby gets the doll, and he finds out that it is a variant of the doll. Um, a variant with different ethnic qualities. Right. That, that his uh, daughter may not feel as connected to. <laughs> that is me being diplomatic about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, he, so essentially he's going to owe Daryl another like 150 or something for a doll that is. But who knows? It still might work. You know, kids are uh, a lot more accepting of that kind of thing. Dennis Leary says something. Right. Like, well, the question is. Which we don't know. Yeah. You kind of assume Princess Unicorn in the cartoon or whatever, because it does. Because it's got a theme song. It's got a theme song. I always kind of, like, I don't know if it was said, but you kind of got the feeling that it came from a show of some kind. At least right. I did. Like a My Little Ponies or something. Like right. That. So the question is, is there a... What ethnicity is the cartoon? Are there multiple princess unicorns? You know. Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't think about it that way. But even so, that matters even more than it, right? Because if Sasha likes a particular character, and this is not that character, then that could be another thing entirely. Correct. And of course, Toby can't say anything. So that's what it is. Gets the doll. Pays 400 bucks. Fingers crossed. So, I don't know. I don't think I could pay $400 for that. Like, I don't have no. kids, so I don't understand an expert, and I'm not, you know, all the things that go into, like, this wanting to show up as ex-wife. Right. You know, I'd, I've never felt or had to deal with, but I don't, I don't think I could have done it. I mean, I know as a network back last fall, we were all kind of talking about the, uh, the NES Classic, right? 
And, you know, some of you guys are a little bit more technically inclined than I am. So you guys are talking about how you guys could, you know, make it with a, a Raspberry Pi, which I found out is not a pie. <laughs> um, and then, you know, get a nice little case and it basically does the same thing, except you could put even more games on it. Right. Right. Um, they recently canceled that thing and it was 60 bucks at the time. And I've been seeing it on Facebook. Now people are trying to resell theirs, I guess, knowing this was going to happen. And they're like charging 250, 300 bucks. And I'm like, get out of here, man. That's ridiculous. So if it was a doll, no way. $400. That's crazy. That kid could suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a piece of cardboard and say, here, use your imagination. It's like, here's $400 cash. Go have fun. You know, yes, if it's yes. like a nine-year-old, that's the most money they've ever seen in their entire life. They would have lose their freaking mind. You put them on one of those stupid, like, cars in front of a grocery store that just kind of goes back and forth. I mean, like, here, you could ride this for three days. This was 2009. You could have bought her, like, the first iPad, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, so Phyllis continues to boss Angela around. Um She's grabbing chips and she's getting hummus and stuff. She's forced to uh, wear a hairnet. She's moving Christmas trees up and down stairs. And um, finally, Angela snaps, right? Right. She tries to call Phyllis's bluff. And Phyllis does it. You think she won't. There's a moment. But she, out loud, the entire office is there except for Andy. Um, and she says, Angela's been sleeping with Dwight. And Dwight goes, well, don't look so surprised. Yeah, he just looks, like, super thrilled. Like, yes, it's finally out, you know. Um, and, and that's kind of it. And it's kind of awkward and silent. And then um, Andy shows up, I guess, from the annex because he's been practicing. And he plays a tune. Yeah. The, uh, just like the halls. That's it. Yeah. Um, no one claps. No one does nothing. Everyone's just kind of standing there. Yeah. So they leave, and the whole time Andy's just like, this is awkward, but he thinks it's because of his music. Right. Um, And they leave, and so that's the end of that, but now the most important part. Michael has convinced Meredith to go out with him, and uh, Toby's like, good job, man. Like, I didn't think you could do it, and Michael throws a pen at him. Right. And we find out in the car that Meredith's under the assumption that they're going to a bar to get a drink. And following one of the best no screams in the series, Meredith comes in with her own submission. I told you no. I told you yeah. no. No. So they pull up to this place and Meredith sees it. So they're doing like this run around the car. People are throwing garbage cans at each other. Um, eventually Michael gets her and drags her in by, by her hands and she's just screaming no! <laughs> um, it's great it's really funny he's like um, do I have to sign or something I have a drop off an alcoholic <laughs> I love that part it's so like he's just so deadpan he's like hi I have a I have a delivery or something like that, or a deposit yeah. like you can't do yeah. this to people this is kidnapping Michael yeah. So, um, obviously, she does not get admitted in. They uh, go back to the office, and Michael has a small little talking head where he's like, well, you know, I know what I have to do. I have to bring her even lower. <laughs> She's right. like, I, I, I have to do it to hit rock bottom. I did it to Jay. Yeah. 
Um, so, so a lot goes on here. Um, I'm just trying to make sure I didn't miss anything else, but we got the revelation to the entire staff that Angela's been cheating on Andy. Mm-hmm. We got Meredith almost going to a rehab center. Right. I mean, those are the big two. Which we learn later that all her partying was just because she was in college the entire time, getting her PhD. Right. I mean, that's the joke. But she was still an alcoholic. <laughs> um, and then, as you said, BJ Novak continues to get credited but doesn't appear in the episodes anymore. So, Right. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to add? Uh, no, well, there's just one great little bit where Andy is still playing with the sitar and Jim comes in and is like, do you take requests? And he's like, yeah. He's like, please stop. Yep. We're trying to have a party. Yeah. So um, what are you giving this episode, man? Yeah, I like it a lot. All the Christmas episodes are great. So I'm going to give it a four out of five. Uh, Chewbacca cookies. <laughs> uh, I also gave us a four out of five porn addictions because we learned Meredith is addicted <laughs> to porn. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we agreed on that one. That's pretty good. Um. So last up for this evening. You know, is this, this is something. So something we're thinking about next. Christmas, because we'll still be doing this podcast in seven months, we'll have to rank the Christmas episodes. Okay. So I'll start thinking about it now. Yep. All right. So <laughs> lastly, we're coming up season five, episode 12, The Duel, written by Jennifer Soleta and directed by Dean Holland, which I don't know if we've had a Dean Holland episode before. Let's see. Dean Holland. Um... Um, oh, he had. Well, he edited Booze Cruise. Interesting. Um, and so he's a big editor, I guess. But um, yeah, he had tried his hand at directing this one because he also had something to do with Casino Night and the Job. So interesting. Um, yeah. So it's the duel. So how does this one start? Uh, the radar. They they put out the the one of those big yeah. like radar gun things in the street. Because Angela has made many calls to the police about uh, cars driving too fast. That's right. But now Michael in the office is trying to see how fast they can run. And uh, they're actually causing a traffic issue. That's right. Um, So... Yeah, so they're outside and they're sprinting. And they're trying to see who can possibly go the fast, the fastest. And um, right. Michael gets what thirteen, mm-hmm. twelve or something. And then uh, so they're taking turns, and it's actually pretty, uh, pretty organized in that regard. And everybody's doing it. Like Oscar's going out there. I thought it was kind of surprising, but uh, so he's next in line and he's waiting. But um, Michael says he can go faster, and he takes his turn. And coincidentally, a car is there. Right. <laughs> And he ends up going, what, 34? Something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And it's humanly impossible, but um, Michael is adamant that that is his time because he was in front of the car. Right. So, um, fun fact. Yeah, Usain Bolt generally considered the fastest man alive. So far, his recorded top speed is 27.4 miles per hour. 
Wow. So yeah, anything above 30 is a, a very much a stretch. According to uh, some sciencey stuff, it is potentially humanly possible to reach 40 miles an hour, but that's only in theory. So the f- yeah, I mean, you gotta be wearing some like wind-resistant clothes and like perfectly shaved and yeah, well, and like get the, the perfect draft and yeah. But yeah, so so far the fastest humans ever run is at twenty-seven point four four miles per hour, at least recorded by Usain Bolt. Right. Um, so that's the cold open. Then we get in. Andy comes into the office and he has to talk about the elephant in the room. That no one has <laughs> RSVP'd. RSVP'd, yeah. <laughs> um, and, the, and the due date was yesterday. So Michael does this really great thing in like this Jim and Michael <laughs> like comedy where no one says anything, but they're trying to say something. Right. Michael's desperately trying to reveal to Andy this secret that was revealed in the Moroccan Christmas, right? But Jim keeps pushing him into his office, and he's closing blinds. And and he's like, Michael I feel like you it. should be able to hear me. Yeah. Um. So Dwight, Jim, and Michael are in there, and they're trying to like figure out what the best plan is. But obviously, Andy needs to know. And Dwight is working with Angela to try to get her to be the one to tell, because that's how it should go, right? Right. Um, also we find out that they're still boning. Right. And so like at this point, and this comes up later in the episode, like she's still fighting for this marriage, even though she's like, she's trying to play both sides too much and it ends up biting her in the ass, you know? Right. Right. Which I don't really understand. Like, you can choose either one, just choose. It's like maybe she just doesn't has have the gumption to choose one. But I, don't know, well, I can't imagine she has trouble like I bet she doesn't like a lot of people. But I'm sure she could find another dude. It's not like a loneliness thing, you know? Well right, but I mean maybe and this is something that comes up in season nine, maybe it is just she's still being so spiteful towards Dwight that she can't be with him. Right, right. Um, so, so Michael's going away from the office for the day, um, and he makes the decision he is going to tell Andy so that everybody can deal with it. And Jim's like, but you're leaving. And uh, Michael's like, I've already made up my mind. It's already right. done. It's happening. Right? It's happening. Yeah. Period. It's happening. Sucks yeah. to be you. Um, so he has Andy kind of walk with him to his car where he just has this long string of nonsensical sentences where he's trying to say what he's saying without saying it. Right. Right. It's pretty good. Andy's very confused. And eventually, uh, he says it, he's in the car, (laughs) the car is on, he says this thing and he like instantly rolls up his window. Um, he says that Angela has been sleeping with Dwight for some time. Right. Also not the, like the most gentle way to say it, right? I mean, is there a gentle way to say this? Like, hey, bro, your fiance's boning another dude? Well, I wonder if he'd phrase it in such a way where like you position it like, oh, you should ask Angela about this thing, you know? Right, but that still leaves... Right, because Angela could still lie about it, right? She could still lie about it. 
you know, so yeah, he just kind of, I mean, he, this should not have happened, obviously, but if he's going to do it, I don't know if there's a better way to do it. Besides, like, right. maybe handing him a fifth of Jack, like, hey, buddy, your fiance's cheating on you. Here's some alcohol. Right. <laughs> yeah. Beyond that, I don't know. Uh, um, so, Michael splits. Andy goes upstairs and asks to meet with Angela privately. Um, yeah, this so is one of my to... favorite Angela lines. He's, so, she's, like, trying to bounce around answering the question like would i sign off on formal chrysanthemums if i didn't want to marry you it's like are you sleeping with dwight a little bit yeah <laughs> he's all like man i forget like i don't know why but andy asks like what positions or something like that and he says missionary she said i said nothing fancy right i mean you could see her, well, she's obviously very cut off towards Andy sexually. I mean, that's something we've determined through the entire show. Right. So maybe he's just trying to figure out if he was getting more than, if Dwight was getting more than he was. Right. You know, because maybe Andy wanted to do something that she said no to, or I don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It's It's weird. Um it's just weird. <laughs> of all the questions to ask in a situation like that, I don't think uh, <laughs> how do you guys do it would well, be one of them. Right, but I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly our RSVP date, but I mean, if you're, you know, the deadline for RSVPs is passed, you can't be more than like 90 days out from your wedding, right? Right. So maybe it's just one of those things where he's such in shock. He doesn't know what to say. He's just trying to say something, you know? Right. Yeah, that could be true. I mean, yeah, it's the worst situation to be in ever. Never. I mean, you don't mm -hmm. want to be cheated on. Definitely don't want to be cheated on past your RSVP day. <laughs> yes. Being cheated on sucks. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll change gears here. So Michael's going to New York and he's a little nervous because David Wallace has called him into a meeting, right? Right. And, uh, I mean, he doesn't know. He just assumes it's going to be bad. But we find out that David is actually congratulating Michael. He wants to figure out what he's doing right. Right. And so, like, there's this great scene where he, you know, Wallace starts talking and Michael looks petrified. Like, it's like he's looking at an oncoming train and he's just bracing himself for the impact. And all of a sudden, he's like, what are you doing right? And he kind of pauses for a second. And he realizes, oh, this is actually a good thing. Right, right, yeah. It takes a second for it to register. Uh, um, and then, so he goes on to talk about like his business philosophy, which, again, is just this made-up nonsense. Don't ever, for any reason... <laughs> Due to somebody for under any circumstance. <laughs> yeah, he just keeps going. He comes up with this word, the improversation. Right. He's like, sometimes I just start a sentence and I don't know where I'm going. I hope to find it up along the way. Yeah. Uh -huh. So David has his own talking head here where he admits that, um, you know, this is kind of an odd thing, but, you know, businesses are failing and Michael is doing something 
he needs to figure out what that is. And then uh, Michael barges in saying we should get some, you know, get some lunch. Yeah, some pasta. So you get the sense, really. I mean, there's not much to talk about this whole story arc here, but um, except for I have the need, the need for tweed. <laughs> um, that really David's able to get anything from this meeting. Right, right. He doesn't get anything from him. And you kind of get the feeling that this starts, well, I mean, this entire season, but from business trip, and this is just another piece of the building exasperation and just doneness of Wallace with Michael that eventually leads to um, the Michael Scott Paper Company arc. Right. And, and I've been saying it for a couple episodes now, too. But like I said, I think since just before the end of season four, Dwight has shown similar shortness with Michael. Because there's some stuff in the Michael Scott paper company where Dwight has to be pretty divisive and decides not to support Michael. Right. Right. Um, you know, and he does things where he's like not laughing at his jokes or he's pointing out when Michael's being stupid or whatever. So, um yeah, they're definitely they've been building up this kind of like separation between Michael and some of his like closer people uh for this thing to happen. Um and like you said, this is kind of this right. Right. Um Yeah, I mean that's about it. So then we get back and um you know Andy finally confronts Dwight. And, right. and this is where we learn about Rule 17. Never turn your back on a man you've wronged. The dominant turkey during mating season and something else. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dwight's been, you know, he's been trying to uh, tape a spoon to his monitor. He's trying to switch seats with people. You know, he wants to be ready for this possible attack. But Andy goes up and he's like, you know, I guess he feels good about the conversation he had with Angela because he's all like, all right, well, you guys are done. Right. Right. And Dwight does not back down. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, so eventually, it just leads to the proclamation that there will be a duel. Correct. And then Angel's like, "I will respect the outcome of the duel," which completely is a. If he's just such a bitch move, you know, she's all like, she's just like trying to absolve herself of all responsibility here. Right. Even it's though she's the wrong. one who's causing all of it. I mean, she is the catalyst for all of this. And we find out later that this is not the first time she's done this. Right. She's uh, had other pairs of people uh, fight over her. Right. And it's also funny in this whole situation after they've announced the duel that Jim starts going around and rounding up all of Dwight's weapons that he can find. There's a scythe and a bow and a, like a sword of some kind. Yeah. There's like a Sharukin under a table somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of weapons. And, um, so the duel is set for the afternoon out in the parking lot. Correct. Now, even though they, decided to claim weapons, and he said his fist, and Dwight said his sword, uh, Dwight is armed only with his belt, right? He's kind of got it set up as like a whip. Um, so he's out there, and he's screaming for Andy's name and such, and uh, you know, he can't, uh, doesn't see him until he notices a piece of paper taped to a bush. Right, and so you kind of get the feeling that's where Andy normally 
parks. Right. Because um, there's no assigned spots, as we know from conflict resolution. Right. But uh, people seem to park in the same spot traditionally. Um, so the piece of paper basically said, is admitting that Andy would not best Dwight in a one-on-one confrontation, yada, yada. Um, but it's all just a giant ruse for Andy to sneak up in his, uh, what car does he have? A Prius? Prius, right. Yeah. So anything under five miles is silent. It's running off of that car's battery stuff, right? You would figure you could still hear the tires, but. Yeah, he's in the zone though, Dwight. Yeah, so, or maybe it's louder than we think out there. Yeah. I mean, I recall uh, sitting in some of those electric cars that are, like, only electric at certain points, and they are pretty quiet, though. Like, you're, no, they like, are very quiet, the, but you just figure you'd hear the, the, the cracking, you know, basically like the gripping of the tires, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Andy has to turn to get into that spot. Right, and that's, that's always a pretty loud thing. Yeah, especially at a slow speed. Mm-hmm. Because you're having rubber. a... Yeah. yeah. But he uh, gets the jump on Dwight, drives him into the bush. <laughs> Where Oscar <laughs> proclaims that Andy deserves to win. That's right. Um, so Dwight's <laughs> whacking the hood of the car. Well, Jim runs out there. He's like, Dwight, are you okay? Is your leg broken? He's like, no. My right one's like going to sleep a little bit, though. <laughs> go away, Jim. <laughs> Well, yeah, and he's like, Andy, are you okay? <laughs> and he's like, go away, Tuna. <laughs> um, so he does. He leaves. <laughs> and um, they kind of talk it out, and we find out that um, Angela has banged Andy twice. Correct. Um, and this is a big deal to Dwight because he was the under the impression he was the only one being banged. Right, right. And that sort of was, hey, we're, you're not sleeping. It's okay because you're only sleeping with me, you know. Right, right. Um, so, presumably Andy backs the car up and they both go upstairs. No one really knows what happened. Right, and then Andy comes in and immediately cancels the cake, which he got pissed about having the cut, cake cutting fee at his wedding. Right. Um, so... Angela kind of expectantly looks at Dwight. It's like, okay, so he won. So Dwight picks up the bobblehead he received from her as a gift. He is and, also the signal for sex. Right. And you think it's going to be a good thing, but then he throws it in the garbage. And she loses and, uh, both. That's right. Um, yeah, and then she kind of goes back to her desk, and she's a little dejected. Right, because now she doesn't have anybody, right? So she's like... Right. Like, she just, she pushed it too far. Right. You know, and... Because honestly, like, a day, well, you know, literally last episode, if she went with Dwight, that would have been golden. Right. Right, yeah. Or oh, if, God. you know, if she hadn't, you know, if... She, I mean, I, I get okay. I get her being pissed off about him tricking her into getting married. But if she had just gone with the, I, cause she even verbalized it. I made a mistake by picking Andy. If she had just right. really internalized that, it would have been fine. And honestly, too, I mean, the whole thing starts because Dwight killed her cat. Right. So maybe instead of going with Andy, um, cause I don't really know what her goal was with going in Andy. Cause it didn't seem like at first it was to get back at Dwight, you know? Mm hmm. Um, she kind of just gives in, but really if she just took that time to kind of 
worse for her feelings about Sprinkles, then maybe she just would have ended up with Dwight again and avoid all that heartbreak. But uh, right. But yeah, so so there she is. She's she's single and ready to mingle. But not really. But not really, because she's very sad. Because she, um, yeah, I'm not sure when she meets. Oh, because not too long down the road, they start the 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 love contract. Right, right. Which goes through until she meets um, um, state senator. The state senator, right? Which I'm not exactly sure when that is, but it's coming up soonish. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think with it because the sex contract's going on. It goes on for a while. I mean, it goes on during the um, the saber takeover. Right. I mean, it's it's pretty much all of season six. I want to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure when this happens, but it's it's sooner rather than later that they start the the sex contract. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, so is there anything else in this episode? That's about it, right? Yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah, I really enjoy this episode. I think it's funny. Big plot episode. I mean, it's it's different because it's there's. I mean, it's so Andy Dwight Angela focused, which is you know, it's it's up until this point we really haven't had a ton of episodes that aren't at least Jim Pam focused a little bit and there's essentially no Pam in this episode. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um so what'd you give it? Uh I gave this a four point five out of five soft underbellies of my refined refined upbringing being my soft underbelly. <laughs> I love that quote. It's so terrible, but I loved it. Yeah, you know, I think um, I don't think I like it as much as a rewatchable episode, but it's still a good one. So I gave it um, a three out of five. He deserves the wins. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Okay, so uh, you can find me at um, at Jacob Ingles on Twitter, at Prairie Penguin on Instagram, which I am updating more. So if you want to see more of my Instas. You can go there. I am not cool like the cool kids from downtown. I do not have Snapchat. I don't feel like learning about Snapchat. So. Uh, you can find us at Broken Jars at XYZ. We're on iTunes. We're on all the major podcasts, you know, repositories. Again, patreon.com forward slash Broken Jars. If you want to email us, brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. We post on the r slash Dunder Mifflin Reddit. Uh, I think that's everything. Yeah, I never say it, but uh, I have a twit. I have a Twitter's <laughs> uh, J underscore Ray, and Instagram is J underscore underscore Ray. Cool. So if you want to see me going all my New York gallivanting, if you'd like me to tweet, basically my tweets are: This is this day. This day is bad. <laughs> you can see those on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday. I forget to tweet, so there you go. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. We will see you uh, next episode. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.